Tonight's topic is on angels. My first thought was to go and delve into angels, what Kabbalah says about angels, but then I said, hold on a second. Let's make this clear. First things first. We have no idea. We don't know anything about angels. How could we? Everything that we know is limited to time and place. Everything that we know is within the confines of time and space. So how could we possibly begin to fathom the world of the angels? So whatever we're going to talk about today here is completely useless. Because the point, the point of this lesson is that something positive, something action-oriented should come out of what we're studying here tonight. So we can go into the greatest, deepest realms of Kabbalah, talking about things that we have no idea really what they mean, and it will be absolutely meaningless to me, you, and everybody else here. So I'm going to make a bit of a shift. I hope you like it. You'll let me know afterwards. Let's start off from the beginning. Before we get into Kabbalah, I want to read from you um, the Rambam. Because the Rambam, Maimonides, is the first one to really speak about angels in great detail. And he says like this. It's not in your papers. Oh. So this is not in your papers. He says, everything God created within his world is divided into three categories. The first category are creations that are a combination of matter and form, constantly coming into existence and ceasing to exist. So the first thing he says is a combination of matter and form. He calls it matter and form. In our day and age, what do we call it? Matter and antimatter. We call it body and soul. So, what we're talking about here is body and soul. We're referring here to the human being. The second level of existence, the second created existence, the Rambam, Maimonides continues, he says, is body and form, but the form is permanently fixed to the matter, and they don't change. Kind of like spheres and stars and the constellations. So, we're going to call it fixed. So we have matter and form, and then we have the form is fixed to the matter, which means the stars don't change as the body and soul kind of come into existence and then leave existence. And the third creation are creatures that have no form and no matter. These are angels. angels. Good. <laughs> the example of the stars, because stars can come into and out of existence as well. It's just a matter of time. Well, he, he makes classifications here. I mean, we can, there's obviously other, right, there's other classifications and talk about uh, tzaddikim, oh, yes. uh, righteous people in matter and form, maybe not as clear. 
maybe they go a little more into three. We're not going to go into that realm yet. We're just going classification of Maimonides. That was what he was famous for. He was famous for codifying and classifying everything. Now, Rambam. They don't possess, the angels don't possess a body, but forms that are one separate than the other. Now, here's the problem. When you think of an angel, what do you think? Wings. Wings. And by the way, that's not only in the faiths down the block. That's also in our faith, because we know this within our own tradition. The angels have wings. But do angels have wings? No. Probably not. No, they don't have Does God have a hand? No, they're just anthropomorphic. They're metaphors. They're examples that we give in order for us to understand things that are beyond our realm of understanding. Because if it said whatever it said, we wouldn't understand it. So, once again, the entire purpose of studying all this is to be able to apply it. If we can't apply it, it's not worth studying. Maybe some of us can apply it. What? Maybe some of us can apply it. Fine. So to make it easier for you, so you can apply it. Wings have a kajumaba. You're happy now? <laughs> it's not a word. I just made it up. <laughs> so, so these are all metaphors. What we're talking here about is metaphors. So when we say that the angels have wings or God is fire, it's all metaphors. And this is what he continues saying. Since they possess no body, what separates them from each other? Because what separates you and I is our bodies, is our space. We are separated by time and space. So what separates angels from each other? Are they not just some big conglomerate of beings and creatures that kind of have no structure or no form of existence on their own? What? Okay. Worlds, what else? God's will. Energy. Mission. So, essentially, what separates them is resistance. He continues saying this. Resistance based on influence in levels one above the other. Which means the following. That the levels that we spoke about last week when we spoke about the worlds, the worlds separate the angels. We're going to get back this, to this at the end of the class. But keep this note for the beginning. Angels are separated by levels, by worlds. That's how they're separated. Is it what in each world? Worlds within worlds? Worlds within worlds. Ecclesiastes, King Solomon says, there are many levels of angels. That's what he says, just like that. 
what he's referring to is that there are many different angels in different worlds and worlds within worlds, etc., etc. But not in space the way we know it, but rather in spiritual space. And we'll talk, we're going to get back to this. Now, just at a simple level, like one sage is greater than the next, like when I, when I say, let's say, that when we study something, we say, oh, this, this, this sage is, has, has understood more than the other sage. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about levels, spiritual levels. Now then the Rambam continues to say, well, what are the levels of angels? So he goes on, and uh, for those of you who I know like this kind of stuff, I'm going to tell you all ten levels of angels. The first one is, the highest level is Chayot HaKodesh. Those are the archangels? No, it's much higher than that. Then there's the Ofanim. Yeah, yeah, much higher than that. Can you write it in Hebrew too, probably? Yes. Malachim, then there's Elohim, then there's Bnei Elohim, I'll move away in a second, I'm almost done, and then there's Kirubim, and then there's Ishim, these are the ten levels of angels. Ten. This is the, these are actually in order. Is it no coincidence that the same as a ten safer road? We'll talk about that in a second. Um, who asked me? I hope you know. I hope you know scripts. for those of you who want it in Hebrew. You want it in Chinese also? Please. <laughs> okay. Is that the end of within a yad hey or is it worlds within one of the yad hey We haven't even gotten to the worlds. We're just talking about levels of angels. Okay. What's their purpose? Now, I'll just explain to you. So, God's throne is right over here. And we're right here. God's throne is right here. We're right here. So look, it's very interesting. What are these called? Chayot HaKodesh. What does that mean? Sacred beasts. Sacred beasts. What are these called? What does that mean? Individuals. Individuals. 
Can you see the difference between level 1 and 10 already? These, these guys are further from the one. These the guys are the lowest level. These are right below the seat of God. And these are right above us. So not only are they, they're not just random names. They're actually, each name means something else. And unfortunately, I'm not going to have enough time tonight to go into um, all the names and what their meanings are. But I just want to kind of give you a little bit of an overview because I have a, so we have a lot to talk about tonight. Now, for example, the Ishim are the angels that the prophets used in their visions to communicate with. Now, what is a level? And why is the Chayat Kodesh a higher level than the Ophanim? And why are the Ophanim a higher level than the Aralim? And that's because each level can comprehend God in a greater way. Remember, these are still creations. We already established last week that these are still creations. This is not a piece of God. This is a, a created being. Just like you and I are created, these angels, too, are created. They're just... The difference between us and them is a very basic difference. The difference is that they appreciate the holiness and the spirituality of their being. Whereas... God created us with free will, so we can go either way. But they don't have free will. They're completely connected, devoted to God. So they can appreciate. They are higher. Now, here's the big question. Are they higher than us spiritually, or are they lower than us spiritually? It's both. You say both. Well, I think if a human with free will has the capacity to become truly spiritual. I would call that more spiritual than a being that's already spiritual. That's the answer. The answer is that we have the potential to rise higher than them. They are probably higher right now. Yes. But we have within us the potential to rise higher. Even higher than the highest. Even higher than the highest. Adam Kalmon. That's right. Yeah. The primordial man, Adam Kalmon, would, would stand higher than the highest angel. That's correct. And we're going to talk about primordial man in, in, in detail as we, as we move on. Does that mean we could be a creator too? No. The only, things, the only thing that we can't do is we can't create. That's only God can create. That's, that's our limitation. We, that's it. We can do everything but create. Um, this is a much disputed list, though, isn't it? That's rap, that's, uh, this is, the, this is Maimonides' list. Right. This is the one that I'm, that I'm referring to, and most Kabbalists today will use this as the list, and it's pretty much in sync with the prayer list, with the, pro, the list from the prophets. It's pretty much... There are a few discrepancies in the different levels as you go through, and you, as we learn the different levels, if we get this far you'll see that some of them don't even matter. So if there's a discrepancy in the list that you've seen before, probably it's because it doesn't matter. Can we go higher than the opening? Because if we can go higher... Yes, the Chayot HaKodesh. The Chayot HaKodesh, we can oh, go higher. okay. Yeah, that's, that's the highest level, the Chayot HaKodesh. Oh, so you, we can go, but we can't, can we go higher than the Chayot There's no higher angels. Okay, but we, but we, so, we, but, uh, so we can get to that height, but not higher than that. That's right. Okay. Well, okay, so now let's, let's understand this. There is, I'm just going to give you a, a brief overview, just everything we've learned so far that, to understand this. There's the Seder Stalshul, everything that God created, created 
in, in an order. There's an order to creation. There's a hierarchy to creation. There's a way that God created this world, and there's a system and a structure to which the world was created. Now, God is referred to as the infinite light. We refer to God as light because it's the best way for us to describe something that is, that we can't, that is not tangible. So that's why we refer to God as light. Everything after God is created, starting with the angels, then us, and so on. So now, all these levels and worlds and everything that we know is all based on the hierarchy of creation. Now I want to go into the text. The flow of divine energy through the four worlds of Atzilut, Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya. We've seen that Bria is where the souls and angels become manifest. The higher Garden of Eden is the Bria, and the lower Garden of Eden is called Yetzira. These are different levels of the angels. Now, in this class, we're going to focus specifically on the flow into the physical world of Asiya, because once again, it has most to do with us. Last week we said that through supernal sephirot are manifest in the world of Atzilut. Below, this is Bria, the world of the throne of glory. <clears throat> Bria allows the sephirot to interact with the lower worlds. Between Bria and Asiya is Yetzirah, the world of angels. It has to also be noted that although there's also angels in the world of Bria and Asiya, the Kabbalists associate the angels primarily with the world of Yetzirah due to their emotional intensity. Angels have a strong emotional intensity. The Kabbalists associate these three worlds of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya with the three faculties of man. We've briefed upon this in the first class, if you remember. Now, let's talk about this. We don't need this anymore, right? We have three garments. Thought, speech, and action. They're not us. They're not our essence. Kind of like... We have clothes, physical clothes, and depending on how we dress, that is how we are seen to the outside world. I can dress in a suit and a tie and people say that I'm going business-like and I can put on a t-shirt and shorts and I'm going to the beach. There's different ways to dress and that is the way we associate ourselves with the outside world, right? They, there's all these sayings in the business world about how you dress and etc. Now, our soul has expressions, garments, has clothes. The, soul, the clothes of our soul, thought, speech, and action. Proof that it's not really part of us, these three things are not really intrinsically part of us, is that you can say one thing and do the opposite. You can do something and think the opposite. You can think something and say the opposite. So we've established for sure speech and action are definitely, definitely garments. But I have a question about this one right here. We never stop thinking. We never stop thinking. How can my thought be a garment? How can thought be a garment? 
Because thought is keeping from you, you from your real self. <coughs> expand, expand. Well, because if you, if you do, you, you can have moments, I know that Kabbalah prefers to direct, but you can have moments of no thinking, and that's your real self. And I, and I, 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 I don't know how I would prove it, but I'm saying I would think that thoughts would be this way of distracting you from your real self. But when you're not thinking, <coughs> and those moments when you're not thinking, are you really not thinking? Or you're just stopping to think? Mm-hmm. So to speak, you're changing your thoughts. Yeah, no, no, but but there but there are points where you 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 actually are in like what what, I know this is a big difference between Kabbalah and 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 Eastern meditation, but it'd be like no mind. Mm -hmm. But again, even no mind, if you're really not thinking, is there really ever a level where you're not thinking? Like 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 white noise. Yes, exactly. Right, it gets exactly. Uh, essentially what you're saying is like a white noise, right? Where you get where you have all the different decibels together, and that way it kind of creates some kind of balancing noise. So thought is still a garment. So how do we keep control? How do we take control of thought? Is we constantly change our thoughts. We have complete control of our thought, and we have the ability to change our thoughts. So that's how they become garments. Because if we could change them, then, then they're obviously not uh, essentially us. Exactly. Right. That's, what we're, that's what we're establishing here. So now let's go back to the text. Just as these three act as the garments of the soul, the worlds of Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya likewise act as garments of the Sephirot of Atzilot. Yitzira is known as the world of speech. The Talmud says... That every word emanating from God creates an angel. Ooh, millions of angels. <laughs> the force that traverses the spiritual domain is what we call an angel. <clears throat> and when we speak of God's word, we're actually referring to his interaction with the lower worlds. We've also described it as a conduit or channel for divine energy. In truth, there are many different types of angels. Some are created on a daily basis, and others are permanent and fixed names, such as those that we know like Michael and Gabriel. Now, every prayer, every word, we create an angel. We create an advocate. The way that angels go from level to level, and hear me on this one, is if there's an angel, let's say the highest angel, the angels of of, of Bria, so what happens? Within Bria, there are different Stages where the angel is. Now the angel could be on top of Bria or it could be at the bottom of Bria, the world of Bria. So now what happens is whatever gets to the bottom of Bria kind of gets sucked into the next world. So the, the, the waste of the world above becomes the highest of the world below. And then it goes down to Yitzira. We have 
Atzilut, which is the closest to God. We had Berea, which is creation. This is when creation happened. Then we had Yitzira, which is formation. And then we have our world, which is Asiya. So now, the angels hanging out in Bria get, they bottom out. They become the highest of Yitzira over here. They become the waste of Bria becomes the highest of Yitzira. The waste of Yitzira become the highest of Asiya. So essentially, we are the waste of Yitzira. Now, that's right. So we're the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. Now, for example, there are angels. There are angels referred to as karabim. What's karabim? Well, what does it mean literally? Does anyone know the translation of karabim? Little babies. Stomach. Why do you think it's referred to as stomach? Because the digestive system, the whole system of angels, the metaphor, the best metaphor you can give is a digestive system. Uh, there's medicine in here somewhere. Yes, there is. <laughs> I know I would get some people excited here tonight. Is <laughs> Karabim? The waste. Karabim. Whoa, no. Karabim. Karabim is, is, or Karuvim, or... I thought it referred to, like, Karov, like, no, no, close. Close. Karuvim are, those are, those are from the, from the, from the Ark. These are Karabim, different word. Oh, okay, okay. So, and eventually, the waste from the spiritual world becomes the physical world. And that's another way of saying, that's like the process of... We, we, well, we're going to get there. That's like a process of seeing soon, what? Like a process of symptom. Okay. Yeah, but I'm just, we're just using metaphors right. to explain it. Here. Okay. Yeah. Can you just clarify? You said something, it says here that, that uh, the worlds of Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya act as garments to the safer road of Asiya. Can you just expand on that? So we have three worlds. We have, we have three worlds. So, like oh, garments, these are three garments, right? Let's say thought. Speech, sorry, if you can't see. Sorry, okay. Action. So the same way these are the garments of the soul, these are the garments of Atilot. Is that simple? Okay, That's thank simple. You. Thank you. But I don't understand why you're saying if those are the garments of the soul, why is it not us? They're not, because they're our garments. They're the way our soul expresses itself. Just like our clothes are not us. Am I my clothes? I'm not. These are the way that my soul expresses itself. Now... The souls of the Jews, or really, you see here, sorry, let's, let's, let's understand this completely. The souls in this world, we know this world has, right, we have a higher world and a lower world. So the souls in this world have the ability, the ability within them to be higher, to have a higher source than the souls of the angels. The evolution of angels is what led to creating this world. How do we know that the entire purpose of the world was not for the angels of Yetzirah? How do we know that? Maybe the whole reason why God created the world was so the angels can live in Yetzirah. That's my hypothesis at this moment. Prove me wrong. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but what if we're here to give them a certain thing to witness? Then they would have been created after us. We know they were created before us. The last, the God would, nothing is superfluous in this world. So the reason why God created this world is because this is the purpose of creation. Of all of the created worlds, but God needed all of the different created worlds in order to get to this world. I want to just move on through this because there's a lot of information here. If you can just do me a favor, write down all the different questions and I'll, I'll get back to it at the end of each segment. So that way we can continue flowing. It's more of a statement if it's God's words, the angels, and the angels are the messengers that help. We're going we're gonna to go into this now. So, um, if God wanted the whole world to be created for the angels of Yetzirah, then God would have stopped creation there. But God didn't stop creation there. And God moved down from level to level into the lowest level, into our level. So God created us, but God didn't create anything after us. We are the last created. We know. Even in the Torah, God created everything else before us. All the animals were created, the light and darkness, the seas, the fish, everything was created before us. We are the last creation. And that automatically tells us that we're the purpose of creation. Now, then again, it's very easy for the angels to look holier because they don't have free choice. They don't have the ability to not be holy. One of the interesting things and the difference between the way God created everything else and the way that God created us. Let's look at the Torah. When it refers to Every other creation, from the angels to the fish to everything, God said. God said. By Yomer, God said. And he said. When it refers to Adam and Eve, what does it say? Blue. God blew into Adam a breath of life. What's the difference between saying and blowing? And this is, the, this is a, a teaching from Rabbi Shner Zaman of Liadi, who's, who's a... Who's the whose passing we're celebrating? Uh, whose uh, release we're celebrating tonight? So it's a very nice little uh, way to uh, celebrate and honor him. So what's the difference between saying and blowing? Words and action. When you say something, I can say I can talk for hours. I get tired, eventually, right? I can tell you it's eventually. But what happens if I were doing the same amount of energy blowing? How many times can I blow in an hour? How many times can I speak in an hour? Uh, a lot less. Than a lot less. Blowing comes from my innards. Blowing comes from the essence. Whereas speaking, it still comes. It's still, it's still, a, it's still speaking. There's still something happening there, right? Because you can't speak for hours and hours on and, 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 and end. But blowing is so much more powerful. That is the basic difference, Rabbi Shner Zaman says, between the way we were created and the way every other created being was created. Even epistemologically, because to blow is lirushom, to breathe, neshama. That's right. So that's soul. That's right. What about uh, the kitov and then kitov ma'od, like the very... It, it, this is just his teaching. Okay. I just wanted to kind of point this out. I thought it would be nice to, to celebrate him tonight. Um, now, the angels got upset at one point, because the angels know this. And we have history about the angels and the Jews. Well, the Jews referring to because we have history in the Torah, right? The angels and created beings. What happened was, at some point, the Torah says, there were these angels called Nephilim. 
the fallen ones. And the Nephilim fell. And what they wanted, really, from God is they wanted to live in this world. And they were eventually the ones who caused the flood. They got completely corrupted in this world. They couldn't handle it because this world is not for them. So the next episode we have about angels fighting with us was the episode at Sinai, giving the Torah. Oh, right. I said this in one of the previous classes, that Moses comes to heaven, and the angels said, what the heck is he doing here? And God said, I'm giving him the Torah. And the angels said, hold on a second, wait a second. The Torah is for us. We're holier, we're closer to you. He said, look, look, let's look in the Torah. First right of refusal. Who's closer to God? Let's look at the totem pole right here. <laughs> we're closer. We get first right of refusal. <laughs> well, this is in the Jewish writings, so. <laughs> so, God says, you're right. Moses, you take care of this one. So Moses gets up with the Torah in his embrace, and he says, angels, let me read this to you. And he starts reading, believe in one God. Oh, they're all excited. Holy, 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 they're going excited. Then... <laughs> He says, have no other molten images. How many other gods do you have? I don't know, I don't know. There's like pandemonium in the courtroom over there. Everyone's going crazy. I don't know what happened. What do you mean? There's other, no, there's other gods? No, there's no other gods. One god, one god. Holy, 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 holy. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. Tell me about that one, oh dear angels. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> they don't have a father. Exactly. Don't kill. When was the last time you killed? Don't steal. Don't be jealous. Angels, are you jealous? Don't bear the witness. Don't bear false witness. Moses said the Torah doesn't apply to you. It's not for you. Because the purpose of creation was for created beings in the world of Asiya, in the lowest level, the dump of the dump of the dump, <laughs> to be able to have the free choice to rise higher, to be better, and to bring God into this world that is the entire purpose for every single <coughs> created world, for all of creation. It's all in our shoulders. Can you take the pressure? It's called Hanukkah guilt. <laughs> Not Hanukkah guilt, but Hanukkah guilt. Yeah. And once that happened, when the angels realized that, they said, We agree. And one, they took two crowns and put it on the Torah. That's why there's two crowns on the Torah one for Naseh, one for Wudu, one for Nishma, and we'll listen. And since then, every time we pray, every time we utter a word, every time we do a kind deed, we create an angel. And that angel hugs and kisses this deed. This is what Kabbalah says. And it polishes it because we are not perfect. And sometimes our deed comes... What happens if you do the opposite? Hold on a second. We create this angel. And the angel polishes our deed takes it up to heaven. Now, as a child, 
I once heard that if you do the opposite, you create another angel. But it's not true. That I, from what I know, understand. There's no bad angels. That I, from what I understand. There are, but not... There is only one bad angel. And that bad angel goes against its will because that's the way God created it. Because they have no free choice. But if it, its natural will was to be closer to God. But since it has no free choice, God said, you're going to be the bad angel. It's just, right, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Right, so but the, that kind of looks like the gates of Hara, the, the evil so inclination. Is that the one that went with the apple and the, and the Adam and Eve yeah. in the garden? Sure. <laughs> but what, what are the fallen angels then? The fallen angels happened once. That was it. it that was it. The Nephilim happened only once. Okay. That God tried that one. That episode has come and gone. <laughs> But every good deed, and we have the power, every time we do something, we create an angel. And that is what angels mean to us in our life. Is that why it said every time we do something, we light something within ourselves, uh, a light is lit in the world? That's right. But only God creates. How could we create something? It's a great question. I want you to ask that again at the end of tonight's class. So... Sam is in the locker room in the gym, gets a phone call. Hi. It's the wife. So I'm in the store, and I saw this fantastic, amazing mink coat. You think I can buy it? Sure, sure, no problem. Buy it. Enjoy, enjoy. Really? Okay. Well, you know, you remember that Mercedes that we wanted? It's only $90,000. We can, I can have it. Sure, no problem. Enjoy, enjoy it. Make you happy. For sure, you can have it. And get it with the bells and whistles. Okay. Uh, you know the house we saw last year? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, um, it's up for sale again. It just went up for sale. The realtor called me. Can I put a bid on it? Well, yeah, sure. What do they want? They want 1.5. Put a bid on 1.48, not a penny more. Amazing. Honey, you are an angel. You are an angel. Hangs up the phone, turns to the guys in the locker room, and they say, You are amazing. You are an angel. Picks the phone and says, anyone know whose phone this is? <laughs> Daniel, the prophet Daniel, tells a story of this intense vision. He sees a vision of an awesome being, a fierceful presence, a powerful voice. Now, his attendants, the people who were with him, didn't see it. But these attendants were trembling with fear. Now, they trembled with fear to the point where they ran away. If they didn't see this vision of Daniel, why'd they run away? So the Talmud says, that they ran away because their 
representative angels saw it. It's not Kabbalistic, this is Talmudic. It's supposed to be law. Their representative angels saw this experience. Everyone has a representative angel. It's called our Mazel. When we say Mazel Tov, what are we saying? We're saying that your representative angel should be good right now. Or it is good right now. That's our mazel. Is that like, like our guardian angel? Now, it's our spiritual counterpart. That's what it is. It's the spiritual source. What is it really? It's the part of our soul that's still in Asiya Gashmi. In the level, the lowest level of Asiya, it's our soul. Our soul, we are like... You never see those computer programs where you see these guys that are walking around that have like these little lines above them and they're kind of like, they're walking around but they're really attached to a higher, or like a, what do they call the marionette? Like a marionette? So that's our marionette source. That's our, we have a soul. And our soul is really connected on high at every moment. We go back at night and we get recharged. We have a bigger connection. It's like a 60th death, the Talmud says. So... We actually have a stronger, more intense connection during uh, sleep. But during the day, we also have it. So we have, our soul is really connected on high. And that is our mazel. That's our spiritual counterpart. Now, that's why sometimes when we have, let's say, an intuition, or we have a feeling, and we're like, I just, it doesn't feel right. Sometimes it's the gut. But sometimes it's our mazel seeing it. It's that spiritual side of us. And we don't even know. We don't even know how to explain it. We don't even know how to understand it. It's just this part of ourselves that sees it. And we just, it's not right. And then we don't go there. And we're right. Did we have prophecy? Did we have... Uh, did which world is Ruach HaKodesh? Well? Which, which world is God in? So in Asiya, the lowest level of Asiya. The lowest so, level of Asiya. So it's like saying our higher self. It is basically yeah. our higher self. Maybe they're more in tune with their higher self. Maybe when they say develop your intuition, maybe it's just people who have worked on themselves long enough and they've become in tune with themselves. So instead of just often, you see, we start off a blank slate, right? In our, in our mother's womb, we study Torah according to the Talmud. We start off as clean slate. So whatever we do in our lifetime is what we've done. It's what we've worked on. When we become more powerful, more spiritual, we become more successful. It's what we've done. It's our work because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do work in this world. And every time we do something, we can progress and go up higher levels just as the angels can. But in our own way, and we understand how that works physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, your intuition, your higher self, will be as developed as you allow it to be. If you don't develop your spirituality, if you have done nothing for your soul your entire life, you probably are going to have a very gutful intuition, which means, sorry, a, a guttural in intuition, where maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, you just have a feeling. But if you have developed yourself, your feelings will be much stronger, much more in tune 
with your soul, with your essence, with who you really are. So, ethics of our fathers. Mishnah. I read the quote. No, we're not, I'm not on the page. He who fulfills a mitzvah acquires an advocate. We know what this is referring to. It's very clear. Every good deed we create, an angel is created on our behalf. That spiritual energy enters this world and we make this world a better place. These angels never die. They're always there for us in this world and in the next world. Sometimes they affect us in this world and sometimes they never even affect us in this world. They can affect us in the world to come. We're going to get into Kabbalah soon, over the next weeks, about the tzaddik, the righteous person, versus the benoni, versus the intermediate. There are some people who suffer in this world, but who have a good world to come. And part of having that good world to come is suffering in this world. Now, that's not to be confused with doing things. There's a lot of people, somehow it got misconstrued over time, and people think that we do things in this world to have a better world to come. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that sometimes the things we do in this world will only affect us in the world to come. We're talking about the world to come. Reincarnation is a different, to- okay. a different topic. So not that we do it because we're going to have a, a cozier couch in the world to come, but rather it could be that it affects us in our lifetime, and it could be that it affects us in the next world because we are one with this world and the next world. Mm. Well, it's only us who separate the distinction of time. Yeah. Um, we create an angel with every good deed for people who do evil deeds? Are they creating demons? Not that I know of. There's no such thing as demons. Are they creating negative angels? Not that I know of. And what are they creating? They're creating the choice to do bad. That's, they're creating, that's it. That's it. They have created... No that's free. No, not there's no effect. There's a tremendous amount of effect. But, the effect is but the it's effect. not an angel. It's not an angel. There's not angels are ever. When you create an angel, that's everlasting. It never goes away. So what's the effect? The effect is could be in this world. It could be the next world. You could do tshuva, right? You could change and create that. Then that way your sins turn to virtues. There's a lot of things that can happen in this world and the next world. But you don't create angels. Angels are everlasting. Angels don't go away. Which means what you're essentially what you're saying is someone who does something negative in this world can never undo the negative thing they did. It's not true. You can. Onto the negative thing. Created, let's say, ten, ten angels as an example. I'm using something really terrible. It doesn't take away from the ten that you already created. No, the ten that will always be there, but you got to fix up the the thing that you did. <laughs> There's no such thing as brownie points in heaven. Thought there was. Sorry, but now, now Friday night, two angels accompany us home. And when they come into our home and they, tear, they see our table set, they bless our table. And then what do we say? What's the first prayer we say on Friday night? We welcome the angels. We welcome the angels. Shalom Aleichem. We welcome the angels. The angels who accompany us with the Shabbat. 
constantly, constantly in our prayers, we are referring to the angels. Constantly. If you read the prayers on Saturday morning, you're going to see how many times we refer to the angels in our prayers. The Torah refers to angels. The first time the angels come up after the Nephilim is the story of, for example, the story of Ishmael and Hagar. They're going through the desert. An angel comes and brings Ishmael water when he's about to die. Or Hagar da. That's in the Torah. The angels tell Abraham that uh, he's going to have a child with Sarah. Three angels visit Abraham. Mm-hmm. What? They don't actually see the angels, though, do they? Exactly. These angels are, are <laughs> undercover. They're in the form of men. Oh, they are? Yeah. They're, People from not around here. It There's says, from not around here yeah, it says, it says that foreigners came. But it says, they know that they were angels? But, or well, we understand. We, it's pretty clear that they were angels in the form of men that came to see them. Avram greeted them. He gave them food and drink as he would anyone else. But these were angels. And he only learned later that, that they were angels that had come from God. Last week's Torah portion. What did we read? That Jacob wrestled with Esau's angel. He wrestled with him. The angel socks him in the hip, but then as a result of as a, as a result of that episode, the angel changes his name to Yisrael, and we now become B'nai Yisrael. We're not the children of Jacob, but the children of Israel. One who has wrestled with the angel with the angel and succeeded. And that changed the course of history. And I want to tell you another story. And this is really what I'm getting at. There's a story that's not well known, but it's in the Torah. And this is the story in this week's Torah portion. Well, going on to next week's Torah portion, really. It's a bridge between this week and next week. There's a story about Joseph. Joseph the dreamer. What happens? He was the favorite child of Jacob. Obviously, child of Rachel, who was Jacob's love. And Joseph, something happens. He's young, young man. About 17, 18 years old. And his father is worried about the brothers. The brothers went out to pasture, and they haven't returned. So he said, go to this and this place, and see how your brothers are doing. And so Joseph goes to this in this place. He doesn't find his brothers. Now what should have he done at that point? He probably would have gone back home. But if he would have gone back home, well, let's see what would not have happened. What would have not have happened is that he wouldn't have found the brothers. He wouldn't have been sold. He wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house, wouldn't have ended up as in jail, wouldn't have ended up as the viceroy of Egypt, wouldn't have ended up bringing the Jews down, the Jews would never, never have been slaves, there would have never been plagues, and the entire course of history, probably, you and I would not be here. If that would have happened, he could have very easily. His father said, go get the brothers. And he went, and they weren't there. Okay, they're not there, I'm going to bed. But we would not be here today if that would have happened. But what did happen? 
the Torah says something very interesting. The Torah says that he saw an angel. What's the exact what's the what's the exact term? It says Ish. An anonymous man. We don't know who he is. An anonymous man says to him, this is in the Torah. Overhears him. And he says, What's going on? And he says, I'm looking for my brother. He says, Oh, actually, he says, I overheard your brother saying that they're going to this and this city, this and this and this town. And surely enough, he goes to this and this town. The brothers are conspiring a plot to kill him. Reuben tells him to go put him in the pit. Reuben goes away because um, he has to go take care of his father. And he comes back, and they already had sold him. But the whole entire episode happened because of Ish, the anonymous person who told Joseph to go to this. And the whole reason why everything happened, and they went down to Egypt, and the, the whole Seder, and the whole story, and everything you know, the entire rest of the Torah, is a result of that episode with one anonymous man. There is not one story. By the way, the whole book of Genesis, majority of the book of Genesis is taken up with Joseph. The biggest story of the Torah is Joseph. This entire thing opened up a story that lasts through the next book and further. Because why? His father sent him out. He couldn't find the brothers and Ish. Some dudeski. Unknown. Anonymous. We don't know who it is. An angel. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about what are angels really? What's the power of angels? I'm thinking about the angels in our lives. The angels that have change the course of history for us, of our history. The people in our lives that have come along at various times in our lives, unannounced, anonymous, and have been there. They've guided us. They've been there for us. tell you a story I heard from from an old man he was from the town of Munkacz in Poland and when he was 17 years old he was sent to Auschwitz he didn't know anything about what we know today about what happened there he had spent three days, as he describes, like a sardine in a can. The crying, the screaming, the loud noises, the gunshots. He walked into a world that was just beyond him. I heard this from his lips. described the clinging of the boots, 
the dogs. And then in the middle of the night, he comes to the infamous Auschwitz. And they throw him into the infamous line. And then out of the darkness, he tells me, a man with a striped shirt whispers to his ear. He says, when were you born? He says, 1927. He says to him, liar, 1925. He says, no, no. I was born 1927. 1925. So, okay, fine, 1925. Say it. When were you born? 1925. When were you born? 1925. When were you born? 1925. When disappears. He comes to the front of a line. And the soldier says to him, When were you born? And he says, 1925. And he's put right. He later found out that that night, anyone who wasn't 18 years old was going to the gas chamber. He said to me that story lives with him every single day, that angel that came out of the darkness, that came out of nowhere, that told him 1925. Last year, we brought Ellie Wiesel to Concordia. It was a big deal. It was a project that we'd been working on for about four years in the process, in anticipation for a great event that we were going to have to, uh, to destroy the memory of this year was the 10th anniversary since the riots. Unfortunately, we weren't able to have the big event, but we did end up having Ellie Wiesel, which, which is an amazing event. There was about 5,000 students that were crammed packed into the same place that Bibi was supposed to speak 10 years ago, into H110. And there was Arab and Jewish, Christian, and all types of students came to hear him. And it was just an amazing night, powerful night, and a, a night, in my opinion, that changed the history of, Con of Concordia, at least in my day. At the end, we had a little cocktail. And I was sitting there with, with Mr. Wiesel, an amazing man, just to be in his presence and to listen to him and glean from him. And I was talking to him. And I said to him, I've heard from you, I've heard many stories. I've heard of your experiences. I've read your books. Your way of speaking is so eloquent, is so perfect. I said, tell me the story that is your story. I just want to know the story that you carry with you every day. He looks at me, he smiles, and he says, says Yisrael, I don't tell the story, but I'll tell it to you. He said, one day, he was lecturing, and he had finished his lecture, and a woman 
walked over to him. And he said, Mr. Wiesel, your lecture was amazing. <clears throat> you said you were in Buchenwald. I'm just wondering, maybe, possibly, by chance, you know my father. I know that my father was in the concentration camp the same time as you. So he said, tell me your father's name. So she told him her father's name. And he says, I began to cry. He says, do I know your father? Your father was not only there in the concentration camp the same time as me, but he was in my bunk. He was in my barrack. He said, times were terrible. And myself, like many prisoners, anticipated suicide. But the difference, he said, between me and the others is I had gotten a little bottle of poison. And I had prepared, I had it with me for two days, and I decided that today was going to be the day that I was going to kill myself. And I walked into the barrack. And there was your father, and he was singing. He was singing the most beautiful Hasidic melody. And I turned to him and I said to him, how can you sing this melody amidst this disgusting, animal, cruel world? How can you sing this melody? So he turns to him and he says, They have taken my body. They have taken my spirit. But no one can take my song. He turns to this woman and he says, Your father saved my life that day. He, Ali Wazel tells me this, he said, he is my angel. So I've been thinking about this. What is an angel really? What are the angels in our lives? And then I want to turn. I want to turn the table. And I want to ask myself, how can I be an angel? Who am I an angel to? Because we tell these stories of angels, of modern day angels, of angels in our lifetime, and there's so many of them, we can't even fit them all into a book. That's how many stories and the powerful stories and the experiences. And it just goes on and on and on. But who are those angels in our lives? A parent, a grandparent, a friend, a mentor, a doctor, people that were there when they weren't supposed to be, people that were there beyond, way beyond the call of duty. They were just there. Didn't ask, they just did. But what about you and I? What about us here? 
who are we angels to? And do we just... Do we just listen to those stories and not let it affect us and not let it say to us, it's now our turn? It's our time to be angels? Let the stories be said about us? And not because we're looking for stories. Because that's wrong. But because really, truly, wholesomely, these are our stories. And this is who we are. We need to become angels. We create angels. Yes, we do. It's the only thing that we create. Because we have an angel that is our guardian angel. So we don't really create them. But rather, our angel creates angels. And our angels in the world that can create. So we create these angels. But do we live up to our angels? Do we live up to who we are, to our essence, to our character, to the power, to the ability that we have? Do we embrace our struggles with light and love? Or do we embrace them by saying that, how can God do this to me? I'm a victim of a terrible world. I'll tell you a, a personal story. It's only apropos that I'll tell you this story. If you look in Exhibit A behind me, you're going to see a huge pile of books. <clears throat> I had an idea. It wasn't an idea. Someone convinced me of an idea. There's no doubt that Facebook works. <laughs> and as a result of this, there's two ways of looking at this. We can say that this is a pile of 5,000 pieces of garbage that people have just dumped here. Or we can say that there's a wealth of information in this room right now. And somehow, for some reason, God wanted tonight, here tonight, for us to be able to stare at this and say, why is this in our place? Why is this in our possession? Why do we have this right now? I don't know the answer. But the one thing I do know is there's many ways to respond to it. And that's, for me, the greatest lesson. Because everything that happens in our lives, we have to learn from. If we don't learn from it, if it, doesn't teach us, if it doesn't teach us how to be a better person, a more refined person, a holier person, a more in-tuned person, then the, the, the lesson was worthless. The lesson wasn't only worthless for myself, it was worthless for all of us because we're all sitting here in the space, we're sharing our space. Usually our classroom looks much nicer, but today we're a little more squished, today, we're squished together. And it was a lot of work by some angels last night to even create this the way it was done. Last night, let me tell you, that was an angelic experience. So we're sharing this space. 
and we wonder, why do we have to share it with us tonight? Why, on the night that we study angels, and the night that we are opening our eyes to a different dimension, why do we have to share it with what is virtually impossible to get rid of? That's how much people don't want it. <laughs> they were all but more happy to just dump it all here. I'll tell you this. I started talking about the Shabbos angels. I'm going to tell you this. Shlomo Karabach. The late Shlomo Karabach. The singer, songwriter. Many of the traditional Shabbos tunes are tunes that we sing of his. He once was sitting at the concert of his and he said the following thing he said the Shabbos the Shabbos angels you know he said you know you know you know (laughs) (laughs) they're there all week it's just Friday night that we see them the real angels in our lives the people sitting around the table. The people that are in our lives. The experiences, the family, the friends. The people that are around us. Those are our angels. So tonight, who are we an angel for? Are we there when someone needs a lifeline? Are we there not when it's convenient for us, but when someone really needs us? We all have gone to hospitals, unfortunately, to visit people who we know who are ill. When was the last time you went to a hospital to just visit? just go and visit. There's so many people there that just need their spirits uplifted and that no one is visiting. Or an old age home. How many people there are lonely whose children are in Toronto left them here all alone just to go there and to uplift their spirits to be their angel. It's easy to go volunteer. Yeah, I'm going to take an hour of my day and I'm going to go help the less fortunate. But what about when it's more than just an hour of my day? What if, about when it's more than what I can afford or the time that I have? What about when I'm taking away from precious, so important, very important time of myself to give to others. Because it's so easy to think of ourselves, and it's so true, we do have to make sure that we're taken care of. But we also have to make sure that others are taken care of. We have to make sure to be their angels. The amazing thing is that the angels, our angels, our angels, 
in heaven, they look out for us. They're our advocates. They say to God, this person's really good. Look at all the good things they've done. I know they did something bad, but look at all the good things they've done. They're our advocates. They make sure they're there in our time of need when God and Rosh Hashanah is like, book of life, book of whatever. They're there say, God, no, 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 you got a good soul there. Good potential there. I see potential in him. That's how we need to be towards others. Rabbi Schneer Zalman, who we're celebrating tonight, he said, God gave us two eyes. With the left eye, we look at ourselves, and with the right eye, we look at others. With the eye of judgment, we look at ourselves, and with the eye of kindness, we look at others. So somehow it became misconstrued. The Torah was given to us because the angels couldn't do enough with it, because it wasn't for them. It was given to us because we have the ability to make this world a better place. So you want to know about angels? The angels are jealous. The angels want to be us. They tried to be us. It didn't work. They look at us. They're like our little children. When we pray, they pray. Whatever we do, they look at us. They look at us for guidance because we wrestle with God. They never wrestle with God. Everything for them is holy, holy, holy. We have the ability. We have the gift to wrestle with God and to win. And then when we wrestle with God and we win, that's when we become B'nai Israel. That's when we become the children of Israel. You know what Israel is? What Israel truly is? Stands for Yesh Shishim Ribu Osir Torah. There are 600 Yesh Yisrael. Yesh Shishim Ribui Otiot Latorah. It means there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah because 600,000 people stood under Sinai. There's a place for each and every one of our souls in the Torah. That's why we're called the children of Israel. Because within the Torah, not only is there a place for each and every one of us, but if one letter in a Torah is cracked or missing, if one letter is cracked or missing, the Torah, the entire Torah is invalid. Which means, think about it, if there's 599,999 letters, and someone's going to say, what's one letter? What is one letter? One soul. Torah cannot be used. This Torah cannot be used. This Torah is not kosher. We cannot read from it. We cannot use it. It must be fixed. 600,000 Jews, 600,000 letters. Every single soul needs to be connected. If one soul is cracked, if one soul is missing, we have not done our job. Our job is to be angels. Our job is to be Israel, Israel, 
to be messengers of light, messengers of goodness. This, if you want to know, this was what the Rebbe stood for. This is his entire philosophy. He said, I don't care where that Jew is. Go find them. Go hunt them down. I want to end off tonight with one story, a personal story. The story happened 13 years ago, 14 years ago, 15, 15 years, almost 15 years ago. I, uh, I was in school in Minnesota, and during my time in school, there was, a, there was a big brother program with some children in the community, and they asked me, would you like to mentor a young boy? So I said, absolutely. And every day during my dinner break, this boy would come, and we would talk, and we'd do homework, and we'd half an hour just hang out. We became very close. And uh, I left, and I went to school the following year in New Jersey, and I still kept up with him, and we'd speak probably, I mean, every other week. I'd try to call him almost every Thursday night. Sometimes I couldn't call him, but just about every Thursday night. I called him Thursday night one week, and we had a great conversation. And the next morning, early in the morning, my friend wakes me up about 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, couldn't have been. No, no. Sorry, I was, in the, I was in the study hall. Sorry, I was in the study hall. I was studying. And somebody runs in and says, there's a phone call for you. I run to the phone, and there was somebody from Minnesota on the other line, and they said that he'd been hit by a truck. He was walking home from school. He was 12 years old, and he was hit by a truck. I didn't think twice. I didn't even ask anyone. I got on the first flight to Minnesota from New Jersey. And I stayed there by his bedside with him for six weeks. thinking to myself, how did I, why, why would God make this happen? Why? There must be a reason. There must be an ultimate reason. There must be an ultimate purpose. There must be a reason why this whole thing happened. So I figured I'm living in the hospital. I might as well go visit people in the hospital. I have time. I'm there most of the time with him, but I'm going to go visit others. So every day, I would go over to the to the desk, and they give me a list of people who I can visit. Some people they were not allowed to visit. So and I go around and do my, I do my rounds every morning from about 9 to 12. I did my rounds on the floor where I was. That was... One morning, I walked into a room, and I saw one side there was an empty bed, three towels on top of it, and the other side there was a, a young woman laying there, and there was uh, s someone there with her head down at like the feet, at the, at the foot of the bed. So I made with my foot so that she, I wouldn't startle her. She looks up, this middle-aged woman, she says to me, she says, Rabbi, you must pray for my daughter. She's all I have left. My husband just died, and here she is in a coma, and I, I, I can't lose her. I, there's no way I can lose her. So I pulled out my psalms, my tilim, 
And I started, we started praying. I said that God has a special place in his heart for the prayers of women, of mothers. Let's pray together. And we started saying to him word by word. I don't know, an hour went by. I gave him my book. So this is for you. You keep it and you pray. And I went on my way. Unfortunately, 14 months later, this, uh, this young boy passed away. Life took me to different cities. I ended up about three years later in Sydney, Australia, living in Sydney, Australia. Did he die eventually from, from the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was in a coma for 14 months and passed away. Oh, my God. He was in... I was, I was in, in Sydney, I had this funny thing that I did. Anytime I heard someone speaking with an American accent, as they call it there, I would go say hello. One day I'm walking, one Friday afternoon, I'm walking in Martin Place, which is in the center of downtown, and I see these, this, these two women, and I hear them speaking American. So I quickly make a circle on the corner, I say, welcome to Oslo, Mama. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? From Chicago. Where are you from? Minnesota. Oh, she looks at me and she says, it's you. You're the rabbi. I don't know what you're talking about. She reaches into her purse. She pulls out my, my book. It was the mother. It was the mother and the daughter. Oh my God. You have to tell the rest of <laughs> The story's not over. She says to me, she says, rabbi, I prayed from this book every single day. And my daughter, slowly, her health turned around. And here we are, two and a half years later, we're in Sydney to celebrate her full recovery. Wow. And who do we bump into? <laughs> in Sydney, Australia. We bump into you. I said, this is the most incredible thing. I can't even, I can't believe this is happening. So I said, well, tonight, I have this thing I used to do the first Friday of every month in the synagogue I was working for, Central Synagogue, we used to have what was called Studio Central, where all the young people in the, all, the whole city would come together for this big dinner. I said, you have to come to the dinner tonight. It was that night, it was Friday, that night, we were having this dinner. You have to come to the dinner tonight. So, um, so, I, so they, no, 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 we're not religious. I said, no one else is either, don't worry about it. <laughs> Finally, they agreed to come. They come that night, two o'clock in the morning, I left, they were still there. I leave Sydney. Go, I, went to, I, went to, uh, I, went, I actually got a job in Ottawa afterwards. I'm in Ottawa. And one day, this is a year and a half, maybe two years afterwards, I'm talking to the president, who was my cousin, the president of the synagogue. And he said to me, you want to hear a good story? He said, you know, remember that, the diamond family? I said, yeah, sure. He said, you know, remember they, they had a son who had a very rare case of leukemia and ended up, he got, I got out, and, and he had like one side of his face was sagged. So and no, none of the girls would look at him. Anyway, he's engaged. I said, really? To, to Mazel Tov. Ah, some girl from Minnesota. Oh my <laughs> <laughs> they had met that night at oh Studio Central. Oh and they dated. <laughs> and then she moved. Wait. Two years went by. <laughs> Two years went by, and I finished, um, I 
have a mother that was very persistent, and she kept on asking me, when are you going to get married, when are you going to get married, when are you going to get married? So finally, I'm like, you have somebody for me? She's like, yeah, actually I do. So I said, okay, fine. Uh, if you, you, is she good? She's nice? Yeah, yeah. She's good. She's great. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll date her. Finally agreed to date her. I go out on a date. Mm-hmm. My student, who passed away, it's her, his sister. Oh, my God. It's not my wife. Oh, Are you serious? Oh, well, no, I'm just joking. Well, I have a little bit. That part is, though. <laughs> You're lost. Oh, oh, my God. God. Oh my friends all I can say that's his, she lost her brother yeah it's my brother-in-law oh my God. The one who got hit by and the you truck. never you never met her when you were sitting visiting in the hospital all the time? Uh, yeah but I mean it was not it wasn't like it was not the headspace There's angels. There's angels around us. There's angels in our life. And we too are angels. So bringing all these ideas together, bringing it all together here tonight, I hope that this class, this teaching empowers you, empowers all of us to reach out beyond, beyond what's comfortable for us and realize that if we're put in a place it doesn't matter if it's we meant to be or it wasn't meant to be. It doesn't matter if it's right or it's wrong. And it doesn't even matter if there's 5,000 books sitting in a corner of a room. It doesn't matter. Is there a lock on the door downstairs? Is it locked? I think so. Otherwise, unless it's my, my lock is strained. There is a Sorry. lock. Sorry. No, it's usually not locked. No, it's hard. But there were three Sorry. guys that were here before. Maybe they locked the door. Three, three. Yeah. yeah. Reach out. That's my, that's my, just reach out. You never know why you're in a place. You never know why, where you're supposed to be. But be the angel and be in that place. And these stories don't just happen to people that you hear. They're not just stories that are written in books. They're stories that happen to us. And you just have to be that person and take that initiative. And together we can, uh, we can bring goodness to the world. Amen. Lachaim. Amen. Amen. Amen.